Well, let's turn to James chapter 2 as we continue our trek through this little letter, which we've already seen is just jam-packed full of good stuff. But we're going to be in verses 14 to 26, so hold your place there in your Bible, and I'll get there in a moment. Let me pray for us before I begin. Father, thank you for this opportunity again to sit under your word and to hear from you, Jesus, uh, and Holy Spirit. Would you come and speak to us through what James has to say to us this morning? Um, and, And would you, Father, Son, and Spirit, would you uh, apply this word to each of us individually uh, this morning. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when my dad was recently in the ICU after his triple bypass surgery, um, there was a digital screen right by his bed uh, to which he was all hooked up. Um, and it, that screen kept track of all his vital signs, you know, with the blood pressure, respiratory rate, temperature, blood oxygen percentage, his pulse, everything was on this little screen. And uh, the nurses were constantly watching that. In fact, they they had all of that information on their screen at the nurse's station on their computer. And as soon as one of those, one of those um, vital signs was too high, too low, was not in the normal range, Alarms would sound off, and here comes the nurse to come to figure out how we can adjust things to get dad's vital signs back in the normal range. Um, The word vital comes from the Latin word that means life. And uh, they were watching these signs because those signs particularly would indicate not just that my dad had life, but also the quality of the life he was having at the moment. It was very important. And in his letter, James has been telling us that if Jesus is alive inside of us, there should be evidence. There should be signs of the life of Jesus in us. At the end of chapter 1, James said, of his own will, the Father brought us forth. That means gave us birth, brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. And what James is saying is that the word of truth, that's all about uh, all that our good Father is for us and has done for us in Jesus, has been planted in us as followers of Jesus, so that now we're the firstfruits of his new creation. And James goes on to say that there should be vital signs of that new life in us. If, if we're the first fruits, we should see fruit, James is saying. And we, we've seen in chapter 1 how James said that we should see the vital signs of repentance and faith and following Jesus. Um, we should, can, we should uh, repent and put away anything that doesn't look like Jesus in us. We should believe and humbly receive again, he says, receive with meekness that word which is implanted in us, 
the good news about Jesus. And, and so by receiving that word, we're putting our eyes back on him again, returning again and again to the one who saves us. And then we should see the vital sign of following Jesus. And those who have, have the word implanted in them not only hear the word about Jesus, but they are doers who act on it. They respond to the word of Jesus by following the way of Jesus. And so they put on Jesus by loving whom and what Jesus loves. So that's what James has been telling us. And now James comes to uh, chapter 2, verses 14 to 26, which many believe is the heart of this little letter. And he will tell us at the end of this section that we're about to read that as the body is For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. He's saying, if your faith is alive, there will be vital signs. So, let's discover what those are as we stand together and hear the word of the God who loves you from James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. James says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. James says, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. So friends, I ask you, I ask myself this morning, what good is your faith? What good is your faith anyway? Many church-going people today believe that if their faith in Jesus was good, it would take away their pain, it would take away their problems, and it would take away their struggles of certain people. But notice what James means by whether a person's faith in Jesus is good or not. James says, can that faith save him? He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works. Can that faith save him? 
James is saying the faith that is good is the one that can save you from the pain of the problem of being at odds with the person who matters most, Jesus. And now, of course, we know that if we have that Jesus, then we have someone who will walk with us uh, and empower us to endure and love in the midst of our pain and our problems and our struggles with people. But James is saying, here's what's important, folks. It's the faith that you have in Jesus, the kind of faith that can save you. It's a very sobering and heavy question for us this morning. And James is writing to Christian people, remember? He's asking Christian people to reconsider again. What good is your faith? Is it a faith that will save you? And so that leads us to the question, so how can I know if I have saving faith? And James, good news, James wants you to know if you have saving faith. So he's going to describe the difference here between dead faith and living faith. So we're going to look at dead faith, which I'm going to call flatline faith, and and living faith, which I'm going to call fruitful faith. Let's look at those in a little bit of detail. This is a very dense little passage here. And so it's going to take us a a little time to uh, unpack it. So buckle your seatbelts. Here we go. Let's talk about dead faith. James says in verse 17, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. There's a dead faith. In verse 20, he says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? So faith without works is not only not good, it's just useless, it's dead. And of course, we saw verse 26, as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. This dead faith is flatline faith. If you hook up this faith to the heart monitor, it just goes beep. It flatlines. There's, there's no life there. It's missing the vital sign of what James calls works. And so then the question becomes, so what kind of works are missing, James? What do you mean by works? And so he gives two illustrations or case studies about the works that are missing from a dead faith. In verse 15... He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. The missing work, or the vital sign here that James is talking about, is a tangible love for people. A love that walks its talk. Notice a couple of things about his little illustration here, which is, is it just a parable or is it an actual problem that he's seen in the churches? I would would venture to say it's an actual problem that he's seen given what we've already read in James. But notice that he says, this is a brother or sister If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, he's not talking about a stranger on the street. 
Imagine how horrible this is. This is someone in your church, someone you know. And they're without clothing, without food. So he's, he's saying, I want you to think of people in your Christian community that are close. And then think about how great the need is that they had. It says they are poorly clothed. And the way that's translated makes it sound like uh, they're lacking the latest styles. Uh, they're not wearing the best brands of clothing. They're poorly clothed. But that's not what it means. It means that they're, they're without clothing. They're, what they have on their back is all they have, and even that is threadbare. And then he says, they're lacking in daily food. Their fridge is empty and their pantry is bare. Now, so just imagine that you're talking to one of our own church members today after worship. And they tell you they've got nothing in the closet to wear. And they've got nothing in the kitchen to eat. And you say, well, bless your heart. Stay warm out there. Have a good Sunday lunch. James says, what good is that? What good is a faith that produces no works? What good is it to worship God and wrong your fellow worshiper in the same hour? John, John said it this way in 1 John 4. He who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has seen. A so-called faith that does not produce the vital sign of a love for people that walks the talk is a flatline faith. It's dead. So then James goes on. And he's going to illustrate another kind of dead faith in verses 18 and 19. Verse 18, he says, but someone will say, and so he's imagining someone who's going to argue with him about this faith and works thing. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. In other words, come on, James, some of us have faith but not works. Some of us have works but not faith. And so this person is trying to disconnect the organic link between faith and works. But James says you can't do that. He says... Show me your faith apart from works. It's almost, I can almost see him just kind of grinning like, I'd like to see you show me your faith apart from works. And then I'll show you my faith by my works. He, he challenges them to show him faith without corresponding works. It, it, it can't be done. It's like, it's like saying, show me the wind. You can't see the wind but you can see and experience its effects. The swaying of the trees, the flying leaves, the cool breeze that you feel on your cheek. But James can easily verify the existence of his faith by the fruit it produces. Fruit that you can see and experience. You can't separate faith from works. They go together, James is saying. And then James gives this example of a so-called faith. If 
listen, if James could use air quotes, <laughs> he would have used them a lot with faith and believe in this passage. He's going to give another example of a so-called faith that doesn't produce works. Verse 19, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. The demons believe, air quotes again, in the sense that they know the truth about who God is. They know God is one. This is Deuteronomy 6, the Shema. The Lord our God is one God. They know the truth about who God is. Every demon that said something to Jesus about Jesus in the Gospels was telling the truth. They tremble at that truth. So they, they do respond. Their response is to be in fear and trembling. They tremble at that truth, but they don't trust him. They've learned the truth about him, but they don't love him. They don't love him. There's no fruit of love for God. So their faith is dead. You can have the right knowledge about God and still not have the right heart toward him. James is saying, dead faith produces no affection for God, no dependence on God, no reliance upon him, no rest in him. So a so-called faith that does not produce the vital sign of a love for God that trusts God is a flatline faith. It's dead, James is saying. And with these two examples of a dead faith that produces no love for God and no love for people, James agrees with Paul, who in Galatians 5, 6 said, the only thing that counts is faith working through love. Friends, Jesus loved his father. His heart toward God was tender and trusting. And Jesus, we know, loved people. And he loved them not only with his heart and words, he did, but he also loved them with his hands and works. And James knows this, so he's telling us, that a real, true, living faith in Jesus is going to produce in us a working love for the Father he loves and a working love for the people he loves. And so perhaps someone this morning is saying, all right, Jimmy, then what do I do? What do I do if I notice that I don't have that kind of love and affection for God? That, that trusts him. What do I do if I, if I don't want to love the people he's put in my path? And believe me, there are some I don't want to love. What do I do? Go to Jesus. Confess that to him. Repent of your lack of love for him and your lack of love for people. And then plant your roots in him. Again, Jesus called it abiding in him. Remember, we read it. He said, abide in me, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. You can't produce this fruit unless you abide in me, Jesus says. 
Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So what do you do if you don't see the fruit of love for God and love for people in your life? Go back to Jesus. Go back to Jesus. Confess it to him. Repent. Look at him again and say, I I can't believe how much you love me. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And so go back to him and look at how much he loves you. He does not ignore your deepest needs. You are, you and I are poorly dressed in the rags of our threadbare righteousness. But he has come so that we could be given his robes of righteousness to wear. Look at Jesus. You and I are hungry and thirsty and we're filling ourselves up with anything we can get our hands on. So Jesus says, come and admit to me that you're empty and feed on me, abide in me. Come and satisfy your thirsty soul in me. Look to Jesus. And don't stop at just knowing that Jesus loves you. Trust it as if it's life itself, because it is. The psalmist says, your love is better than life. Attach yourself to his love like a branch attaches itself to a vine and hangs on for literally dear life. Depend on his love for you because your life depends on it. And when you do, you will begin to see love for him and love for people flower into fruit in your life. Slowly, but surely. That, that brings us to, this, this is what's describing living faith. James has talked about dead faith. Now he turns, now we turn to living faith. Living faith is fruitful faith. It's the faith that saves you because This is the faith that's real and rooted in Jesus. So in verse 20, James goes on to further explain the the organic connection between a faith that lives and a life that loves, okay? Verse 20, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, hang on a second. All you good Bible students out there, are, are stuck here for just a moment. Abraham was justified by his works, James says. And a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, stay with me for a minute. This is very important what we're about to discuss. I have to untangle this knot for us a little bit. But stick with me because it, it gives strength to what James is trying to tell us. If you know Paul, the apostle, you know that this does not sound like what Paul taught. 
Galatians 2, Paul said, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. That sounds different than what James is saying. Sounds different. Romans 3.28, Paul says, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And then in Ephesians 2.9, Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. So friends, uh, we here at Mountain Fellowship, because of Paul's teaching, we believe and preach and put our hope in this, that people are only saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Okay? That's what we preach and teach here and put all our hope in. And of course, Paul is right. A person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. But James is also right. A person is justified by works and not by faith alone. How can these both be true? Taken together, Paul and James are saying what many have said, many of our church fathers have said, down through the years of church history. A person is justified by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. So we are justified by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. In other words, faith alone saves you, but not the dead faith that bears no fruit. James is saying that living faith in Jesus alone justifies you apart from your own works. But the works that living faith in Jesus produces will justify and verify and confirm that your faith is living. So James is saying the proof is in the produce. And then he uses Abraham to illustrate this. James and Paul are in agreement. Hang with me. Just keep on Tracking with me. In Genesis 15, God promised Abraham that he would give him and Sarah a son. And that through that son, they would have as many descendants as the stars that they could see in the sky. And so James is quoting Genesis 15, 6, which records God's response to Abraham's faith after God gave him that promise. James says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's what Genesis says. Abraham believed God, and God counted it to him as righteousness right there. He justified him by faith. And notice, Abraham's done nothing but believe God, and God justified him. Paul quotes this same verse, the same passage in Romans 4, to make the point that we're justified by God's grace through faith alone, not by doing works. So you've got Paul and James using this same passage, the same story, to make the point, Paul, 
we are justified by faith in Christ alone, apart from works. In James, our works justify, verify, confirm our faith. But James has a different purpose than Paul here. James doesn't disagree that we're saved by faith alone apart from works. He's making the point that saving faith will produce works. And so we have to get clear on where works come in here. We don't want to get the works cart before the faith horse. You see what I'm saying? It's not this. It's not that our works produce our salvation. And it's not, Paul says, our faith in Jesus plus works that produce our salvation. It is this. Faith in Jesus gives us salvation which produces works. All right? So the works cart has to be behind the faith horse. Again, A person is saved by faith alone, but not by the kind of faith that is alone. Not the dead faith that James described already. And to prove that Paul would agree with James, Paul would agree with James. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2. We read verse 9, but we're going to add verse 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. He's saying even your faith is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. Here's verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the works don't lead to salvation. Jesus saves. He makes us alive. And then we begin to produce the works that look like Jesus because he's in us. It's not the works that save you. Jesus saves you. But if Jesus is in you, you will begin to love what and whom Jesus loves. Living faith in Jesus produces the loving life of Jesus in his followers. Thank you. I needed to get, we had to navigate that together. And I I hope it was clear. And if it was not, talk to me and I'll try it again. (laughs) But here, now, now this brings us to this question. If saving faith is fruitful faith, then what kind of works does fruitful faith produce? And James is going to tell us. And strangely, they're going to sound very similar to their opposite that he has already given us. He gives us two examples in Abraham the patriarch and Rahab the prostitute. So first Abraham, what fruit did living faith produce in Abraham? It produced a loving trust in God. The opposite of what the demons do. Remember, God asked Abraham to give up what he and Sarah treasured most. Their son, Isaac. And not just a son, but the very son that God had promised them and gave them. And by this time in Abraham's life, his trust in God had blossomed into saying yes to whatever God asked of him. Hebrews tells us that by faith, 
Abraham offered up Isaac. He considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead. And so he offered him up on the altar. And and this is what James means when he says, you see that faith was active along with Abraham's works, and faith was completed by his works. Abraham's work of loving God with his obedience to God was fueled by his faith in God. His faith was active along with his works. Every step of obedience was a step of faith. Every step was, yes, I trust your heart, Yahweh. Yes, I am yours, Yahweh. Yes, you are good, Yahweh. Yes, I will follow you, Yahweh. Yes, Yahweh. Yes, yes, yes. Because his heart loved Yahweh and trusted him. And James says that Abraham's faith was completed by his works. That means... His faith reached its intended target. It, is not, it does not mean Abraham f- had faith and then he added some works and he got saved. That's not what it means at all. It means that his faith was completed. It reached its intended target. It took years to get there. But it reached the intended target of the work of loving God more than Isaac, of loving God more than anyone or anything else. So I ask myself, I ask us, is that the kind of fruit that our faith in Jesus has in us? That we love him so much? The demons trembled at God but living faith treasures God above all things. Is, is that what is that the fruit that faith is working in me? Jack Miller used to say it this way. He used to say, ask yourself this. Have I ever done a single thing because I love Jesus? Have I ever done a single thing not to get him to love me, but because I love him? And then he says, reverse it. Have I ever stopped doing a single thing simply because I love him? I love him. That's what Abraham did. That was the fruit of his saving faith. And then Rahab. What fruit did living faith produce in Rahab? It produced a love for God's people. He says in verse 25, In the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Now, you may or not remember that story. But in Joshua chapter 2, Joshua sent two spies to Jericho, because they were about to conquer the city. And those two spies met Rahab, and then she hid them. She found out who they were. They're they're messengers from Yahweh's people. And she hid them in her house to protect them until she could send them on their way safely the next day. And I'm going to take the time to read this little part of Joshua 2 so that you can capture 
You can hear Rahab's faith in Yahweh. Listen to this. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and she said to the men, now this is Rahab. She's a Canaanite. She and all her people worship pagan gods. She said, I know that the Lord Yahweh has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all of the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how Yahweh dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is the God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as, you, that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with me in my father's house. Notice that she heard. Abraham heard directly from Yahweh by voice and encountered Yahweh in person. Rahab only heard about him, a report about him. And when what Rahab heard made her tremble, made all of her people in the land tremble like the demons tremble when they realize who they're dealing with. But what's the difference in Rahab? She didn't just tremble. She trusted. She turned away from all of her idols and, and even from all of her people and placed her faith in this one she had heard about who saved his people. And that living faith in Yahweh translated into loving Yahweh's people and joining herself to his plans and purposes for his people. She was rescued from Jericho and lived the rest of her days with the people of God. She became the great-great-grandmother of King David, and one of her descendants was Joseph, who married the mother of Jesus. This is a fruit of true faith in the living God. That you will align your life to the purposes and plans that God has for his people. I'll say it again. You will align your life. You'll arrange all of your life around the purposes and plans that God has for his people. You will love them. You will live with them. You will learn with them about Jesus and his plans for you to love your neighbors and the nations and the next generation in his name. Friends, the point of all this, the point of all that James is saying is that living faith in Jesus will transform your life. It'll change you. And if it doesn't change you, James is saying, it's not there. Now, not every tree bears fruit at the same pace. It's slow. The transformation can be slow, but it is sure. 
there will be blossoms, there will be fruit. And so James is asking each of us, what good is your faith? Is it bearing the fruit of love for God and the love, and the love of people in your life? Can you see it? Do you see any glimpse of it? And I, I wondered, why, why James, why are, you, why are you hitting these Christian people who have been scattered from Jerusalem to all these pagan parts of the world and are desperately trying to live out their Christian faith in the places of darkness they live in? Why are you, why are you coming at them with, is your faith living or not? Is your faith fruitful or not? And I think it's because that fruitfulness is what the people living near James's readers needed to see, to taste. Because everyone is trusting something or someone to save them. Everyone is either wearing themselves out to be transformed or they're tired of trying and... They're just trying to survive. Doesn't that describe our culture? <laughs> we're wearing ourselves out to try to transform ourselves, or we're just tired of trying, and so we just numb ourselves with whatever. Where will these folks find their hope for the transformation that they long for? Only in Jesus. And where will they get a taste of Jesus? in his fruitful people. At the beginning of our service, we saw in Isaiah chapter 41 that he prophesied that rivers would flow and trees would grow in dry, dead places. God promised that one day he would plant an oasis in the desert full of trees who would bear fruit. That's us. And James is saying to his first readers and to us, that day has come. The day that Isaiah prophesied is here. It started when Jesus came to earth. And so, abide in Jesus, church. Plant your roots deep in him and bear the fruit of loving God and loving people so that you and I together will be the oasis he has prepared for spiritually empty people like us who live in a culture of death so that they would find an oasis to taste and see that Jesus is good. Father, would you do that in us? Would you give us that living faith? And would you enable us to invite our neighbors and the nations and the next generation to trust you too. In Christ's name I pray, amen.